be back with you. I've missed you. And uh, it's good to be here again in the pulpit, sharing the word of God, the bread of life with you. Uh, I love you, and I've missed you. Amen. And I miss seeing you around the base and at the chow hall and here at the chapel. And uh, it, was, uh, it was necessary for me to go uh, over the past few, several weeks, um, I've had a lot on my mind. I've had many things pressing on me, um, particularly my wife's dad is dying. Uh, he is in the very end stages of life, and my wife has been shouldering that with three kids, caring for her daddy. Um, he's got brain cancer, so that should tell you a little bit of what she's dealing with. And um, I have had a lot of stressors, and so... When, I was able to go home and to help take care of my wife and relieve some of the burden off of her and say what I had to say to my father-in-law, who was uh, the dad I've never had. And so thank you for your understanding, for your support and your prayers uh, for me and standing with me uh, during this season. Amen? And I need you. Amen? And so uh, thank you for that. And so we're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, if you don't mind turning there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and when you have found your place, please stand in honor of reading the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and following. The scripture says, Paul writes, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you have also been called by one hope in your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So there's a shift happening in the book of Ephesians. And along the way, as we've been studying this book, we've been trying to link chapters 1 through 3 with 4 through 6. Because as we read and we study, we find chapters 1 through 3 is more uh, doctrinal and, and, and belief and, and instruction as far as our theological position in Christ and and our salvation, and this, this workmanship of Christ that we're under. And in chapters 4 through 6, there's, this, uh, there's all this kind of application and, and how do we interact with family and the church and in marriage with our children and with spiritual warfare. And, and, and oftentimes it's like this huge, like, have you ever noticed when you're at this, like this huge shift, like this gap in the book. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, man, so we got these two sides, but we never really see them cross paths you know it's, it's kind of weird reading the book but as we've been going through we've been seeing that our spiritual blessings are in heavenly places and we've been seated in Christ in heavenly places and that's where in chapter 6 our spiritual warfare takes place in heavenly places right so there is there is a link between the two that we have been made one with Christ and we have this union with Christ and we get in chapter 5 we find out that there's a union in our marriage and that we mirror our relationship with Christ our marriage and there's actually links across the whole 
the whole thing. We just have to pay attention to it as we read through the book. And, and now there's this shift happening, and I don't want us to miss the shift that's happening in the book. He says, therefore, yes, what a great word to put there. Therefore, he's saying, because of chapters 1 through 3, I have chapters 4 through 6 for you. And there's a shift that's happening, but it's not disconnected. The shift is connected, it's interrelated. He's saying, I, I have given you your calling, now I want to give you your conduct, but he's going to link the calling and the conduct together. And that's where we're going this morning. He's linking the, this therefore, this, this shift that's happening. He's going to link the calling that God has given us to the praise of the glory of this grace, to a call to be holy and blameless before him in love, this call to have him work within us to produce inside you, produce inside me, the fullness that Christ has for us. There is a shift that's happening now from the calling to what does it look like in conduct. And before he gets to the conduct, he gives a very important note to us. He says, I want you to note, before I get to conduct, there is an important thing for us to catch this morning, catch for us, for us to gather this morning, and that is our attitude before the Lord is the link before, between our calling and our conduct. Did you catch that this morning? Are you with the chaplain this morning? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to flow with you, okay? I'm trying to feel, feel the crowd. Are you all with me this morning? Can I get an amen? amen. All right, because I want you to roll with me through. I, said, I don't want you to miss what's happening here. And so he says, therefore, I, the prison of the Lord, I implore you that you should walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He says, so you have this walk, this, if you will recall that word, peripateo. It's where I get our word walk in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 and chapter 3. That we should walk our lifestyle, the manner of our conduct, should be one that matches that of our calling. That is, that we've been called out of darkness into light. We've been set in Christ in heavenly places. That we have a, our, our, our purpose now is to make the name of our Lord great through his glory being revealed through your life and through mine. And so what he's saying, he's saying, now I want your conduct to match your calling. I want your practice to match your profession. I want you to have a balance between what we preach and what we do. We need to practice what we preach. Amen? He says, I want you to be able to put into practice that which we are preaching every day, day in and day out as we read the scriptures, as we spend time in prayer as we pursue our Lord. How do we put into practice? And he's saying, I want you to understand this morning that your attitude, your conduct are all related. How many of you know that what you do usually comes from your attitude about something? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I don't like your attitude, brother. I don't like your attitude, sister. Why? Because you're being a jerk, you know. It always flows out from your attitude. The way you, or man, your attitude, I just love your attitude. You're so refreshing to be around. Why? Because it blesses people. You see, so our attitude flows from, our, ought to flow from our calling because it influences our conduct. And so before Paul gets into this idea of our conduct, he's saying, I want to take a moment to set our attitude to have a, watch this, our heart attitude to be one that comes from the heart of Christ. And this, my friends, is the link. This is one of the primary ways where we go from our calling to our conduct so that they're balanced, so that we're ensuring that our life is an honor to the Lord. And so what I'd like to do this morning, 
I want to walk through verse 1. I want to break it down for you a little bit. And then I want to get into these hard attitudes for just a moment. He says in verse 1 that I exhort you or I implore you. This is an ethical exhortation based on, watch this, the end result that God has called you to for your life. So you are called, my calling now, our end goal where we will end one day is the glory of God revealed through you. Amen? So God is working in you towards the particular end of his glory being made manifest in your life and in mine. Right? Amen? And so he's saying, I am exhorting you to walk in a manner that leads to God's finished work being produced in your life. In other words, we're growing up in Christ. You with me on that one? He says, so I exhort you, I implore you to walk, peripateo, in a manner worthy. Now this word worthy is axios in Greek, and it, it carries the connotation of uh, bringing up the beam of one side of the scale to be equal with the other. So that there's a balance in the Christian life. Now, if you uh, spend much time studying uh, the scriptures and kind of getting into some background, you'll know that uh, there's, there were some folks who were very legalistic in the New Testament. Uh, and they, they would give a bunch of laws, and, and you should follow these laws and do these laws. And there were some folks who said, you don't have any, to obey any laws at all. You were, they were called antinomians was the word there. Antinomians. And, and they're saying, you don't have to have any works. You just have to have faith. You don't need any works at all. And so James is over here dealing with your antinomians. So you say you have faith and have no works. That makes no sense. You show me your faith, and I'll, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? And so there must be a fruit that comes out of my faith that produces some type of work. You can't say there is no good fruit, no uh, no producing from your faith, and yet you claim that faith. And Paul's saying, no, you're not, there's no, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves, not of works. There is a tension here between grace and works. And what the scripture is saying, the two go together. And we explored that before I left. We said that this, the grace of God is sufficient is for the grace saves and is the grace that works. He's the one producing both. And what God is saying for us today is I want you to have grace that saves and grace that works. And therefore, because you understand you want the grace that saves and the grace that works, therefore I want to bring you in alignment where there's a healthy balance between understanding the grace of God and all that he has done for you and your response to it. You see, so there is a divine influence on your life. And by the way, that is very passive. We do not do anything to receive the goodness of God or what he's done in our life. He just does it for you. Amen. He just puts in you, works in you to produce the character and the calling that he's given you. All the spiritual blessings, all that God is, it's all it's divinely passively inspired and given to you. Where you and I join in is our response to it. You see that? So God is operating in your life and in my life, and he calls us to cooperate with him. Are you with me? And so this cooperation then, what Paul is saying is, I want you to have a good, healthy balance between letting God do his perfect work in you and you're joining with him in that perfect work. Y'all like that? Is that good this morning? 
And so he says, I want you to walk. I want the manner of your life, peripateo, to be one that's balanced, where the grace of God is actively at work in your life so that you are passively receiving his workmanship. But as he's doing the work, you are then able to respond to that work in such a way that your life, your conduct, your character is the outflow of the calling that he is working inside you through his salvific work. Are you with the preacher? Amen. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to have a balance between your practice and your profession, between your calling and your confession. And so this is, this calling then, ought, your lifestyle, our lifestyle ought to be in alignment with what the Lord Jesus Christ is actively doing in your life today. And so it kind of centers us, doesn't it? It kind of sets us on a course where we are, watch this, receiving the glory of God on a daily basis in our life. That there is grace at work in you. And watch this, it's no matter the context that you're in. And so oftentimes God will put us in the pressing fires of life so that he could do his finest work in us. And that's where he wants, watch this, to bring the attitudes and actions in alignment with his calling in spite of the context that you're living in so that his name is made great and his purposes are accomplished. If you will, that you can, uh, Ephesians 2.10, you know, for by grace you saved through faith that not of yourselves the gift of God's man. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Watch this. So that you and I could live out these works that he has for us. It's right here in the therefore where the grace of God producing in us our reply that we see his glory working through us in the context that we're in, even if it's in prison like Paul is right now. See, it's not context contingent. It's obedient contingent. Amen? And so let's continue through the passage. So we have a responsibility to respond to God's sovereign work in our life. And what Paul is saying, before I get into the nuts and bolts of of, of applying this, these principles, whether it be in family or in, in the church or in spiritual warfare, I want to show you the value, Paul wants to show you the value of having a proper attitude before the Lord and before people. And so let's move forward into this just a little bit. <clears throat> he says, I want you to walk in this manner, and here's how we do so. He says, with all humility... And gentleness. Now, that word humility there, I, you know, for years I've struggled with that word. And I think I still struggle with it today. Because it's interesting how we can know a word and know a definition but not understand it. Amen? How many of you know you can know something and not understand what you know? Yeah, we've all been there on that. You know, try that with AFIs. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, chaplain, you don't know what you're talking about. But it says right now, trust me, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, praise I, I understand. I, I know, but I don't understand. And so this word humility here is this idea, idea and concept that, boy, if, if, if I could get it, if we could get it, I, this would transform so many relationships of abasing ourselves in lowliness. It is the idea, and let me just kind of, I'll quote Thomas Akempis on this. I was reading a campus. This, I was taken back by this quote, and I thought it didn't make sense to me at first. I had to ponder it to get it. Thomas Akempis said, to have, listen carefully, to have no opinion of self. Now let's just stop right there. 
to have no opinion of self. That's hard to do. And, he says, to always think well and highly of others is great wisdom and perfection. To have no opinion of self, speaking of humility, and to always, 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 key word there, think well and highly of others is great wisdom and perfection. What is he saying? Well, I believe it's a concept that Paul's trying to get here, that there is a humility where my understanding of the brokenness of myself places me in a position where I, re I forfeit what I think is my right to be critical of others, to be judgmental of others. Perhaps one way to check if I'm truly humble is do I get insulted easily? Mm, I heard a mmm on that one. Somebody liked that one, huh? Yeah. Do I, it, uh, am, am I insulted? You, you insulted me. You offended me. You cut me off on the road. I'm from, I live in Massachusetts. Pray for me. <laughs> then people that, some of you are laughing because you know. Then people up there, I'm, listen, I'm preaching. I need to stay on chasing the rat. It's true though. I get insulted and they'll flip you off and they cut me off. I don't understand. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I used to get offended. And that's my pride. I go, who do you think you are? Cut me off. Well, we, you know. Right? So if I'm getting offended, particularly easily, and by the way, do we not usually get offended because of preferences? Oh, somebody got an amen on that one. Any other amens? It's a preference. I don't have to. It's not a sin. Sin should offend you. Amen? But a preference is a preference. Somebody, look, a great, great point right here on humility, this idea of understanding that when I abase myself, when it's not about me anymore, how liberating that is to truly love people. You ready? Uh, a great principle to, to measure whether it's my pride or if it's sin is, uh, is, is to think about it in this way. I've been offended or something's rubbed me the wrong way. And how do we categorize these three things? I had a, a great chaplain. Uh, she, she, she termed it PMS preference mistake or sin and she says if it's a preference remember it's just a preference now and we can all get over preferences amen now but a mistake is is human we all make mistakes there's grace for mistakes amen we're to be gracious to each other and then there is sin now that's a violation of the ten commandments amen that's when you break an AFI on purpose. You know, that you willfully chose to do something wrong. That's a sin. We deal with sin differently than we do mistakes. And we deal with mistakes differently than we do preferences. But more often than not, I know for my personal life, I tend to get offended because of my own pride and not being humble because of a preference. But when the body of Christ walks in humility, it produces unity. When the husband and wife <clears throat> walks in, hum excuse me, in humility, it produces unity and peace. When we walk with God in humility, it produces unity and peace. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen? And so he's saying our attitude before the Lord, the attitude you ought to have in life is one of humility. And how many of you know that this can often be a challenge for us? Amen? Anybody struggle sometime with this one? Amen. I know I do. But notice what he does. He couples humility with the word and. 
He puts humility and gentleness together. Why? What's happening here? So this idea of gentleness, it's, it's kind of, some of your translations may say meekness. It's the idea of strength under restraint. Strength under restraint. It's like having someone who has high rank. That's a lot of strength that comes in, in, in the rank. But you have to be careful how you use it. I remember one time I was at a base, a new commander, 06, came in, and, and he was just introducing himself to the all call. And he says, you know, I really love uh, spam and eggs. And then he, and he caught himself. He goes, but that does not mean I want spam and eggs when I come to visit your units. Right? It, be, because, he said, because what I, the idea was what I say in passing becomes doctrine, becomes policy. See, because there's a lot of strength in those words, right? Did you catch that? He caught the concept. We, as you have strength, we, the greater strength we have, the greater position we have, uh, the more we have to exercise meekness and gentleness. Why? Because there's a humility that comes with the position. There's a humility that comes with the power. And as God raises us up and God begins to do a work in our life, our humility must accompany the position. Amen? Our humility must accompany the relationship that we have. And I would argue that the greater the humility, the greater God will exalt you. And the further the pride, the greater the fall. Amen? And so he couples these two words together. Because when we're humble, it produces a certain gentleness about us. We had a big dog. He was a puppy. But you know how some puppies grow really fast? They don't realize how big they are. My mom used to say, that dog doesn't realize his own strength. Mm. So when we pay attention to ourselves and what God has given us, and we learn to walk in lowliness and gentleness with people, it's a hard attitude that God uses to put his grace into our lives so that he can produce in us the, watch this, the character to go with the conduct that matches the calling. It's the link between the two. Are you with me this morning? Amen? Amen? amen. All right, do we need to stand up together and get a good amen? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering. Roll it. Now, listen, I got till Chaplain Tim said so I can preach till noon if I wanted to. That's not what he said. He's sitting right there. He didn't say that. I know. All right. So, uh, so where was I? Oh, yeah, humility and gentleness. And he says this idea of patience showing tolerance for one another in love. Look at, again, this position here that we're taking with other people. Patience showing tolerance. How many of you know we all need people to be tolerant of us? Oh, yeah. What is it that produces tolerance of other people's idiosyncrasies, their shortcomings, their errors because they're trying to do something and they make a mistake? Not a sin, a mistake. What is it that keeps that, what is it that produces in us that patience? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. The more we begin, listen carefully, the more you and I truly begin to pursue the work of God in our lives, the more he will break us to the point where we truly Love people. And you're gentle with them. Even if it's in correction. It's always in humility. Why? Because he's producing in you 
the work that he has called you to in conjunction with this calling that he has on your life through shaping his character and attitudes in you and me. Amen? And so he's interested in the hard attitude of the believer. And so it's an enduring love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, is, you know, is gentle. It doesn't boast. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. Oh, my goodness. How well are we positioning ourselves, our hard attitude, for God to use us in our conduct? Mm, challenging, isn't it? Challenging, isn't it? But I would say that the link between chapters 1 through 3 and 4 through 6 is right here. That's why Paul put it right there. He says, before we get into conduct, let me check your heart for a minute. Put your heart in check before the Lord. You know, these words are so, uh, we use them, we read them. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine named Brittany. I went to college with her. She ended up marrying Chuck. They're now youth pastors at a, at a great church in Tennessee. I went to seminary with both of them. She sang on the praise team. She did mission trips. Uh, she was raised in church. And I went, you know, we, we did our time in college. And then they, I went to seminary. They followed about a year later. And uh, I run across them on the campus. And she says, Jerry, I have to tell you something that happened to me. I said, well, what happened, Brittany? She goes, I have good news. I'm like, amen, what's the good news? And she goes, I gave my life to Christ recently. I said, wait, recently? She goes, yeah, last week. I said, okay, tell me more. <laughs> I thought, you know, in my mind. She goes, well, I was in a study, and the word repentance came up, and they defined repentance, and it hit me. I've never repented. I've never repented. And I repented and gave my life to Christ, and I was born again. I said, wow. And, and you know, we talked about it a little bit. It's not like I've never heard the word. But the word never hit me. The word never grabbed me. He says, she said, repentance grabbed me on that day. And I realized I'd never repented. It's, it's interesting how we could read the word humility and it never grabbed us. We can read the word love and it never grabbed us. We can read the word of gentleness and it never grabbed us. But what would happen if we laid ourselves before the Lord and said, Lord, if there's an area in my life I can't see, Lord, show me. Grab me with your word. So that it can produce in me what you've called me to, to come out in my character, to come out in my conduct, so I can fulfill the work that you have for me. And as a means of application, as our praise team comes forward and we move towards a time of, of uh, response, let me just ask you, let me just point out real quick. So he's here talking about our attitudes, and he's going to quickly turn to talking about the church. And our relationship to the church. Then he's going to quickly shift towards our family. He's going to shift, watch this, towards our walk with God. And he's saying our attitude, our heart attitude, if we're truly gripped as we grow in Christ, our heart attitude becomes so pure that it becomes the means whereby we have postured ourselves so that the grace of God that he's called us to, that he is at work in us producing, we could respond to it in such a way that he is carrying out his perfect work for our life. And he, he's saying this is in the context of the church. In the context of your family, 
your marriage, your children, your mom and dad, the people you work with, the context that he's put you in. He's saying, as we bring our, our heart attitudes in alignment and he produces in us, it shapes, it changes. It's the foundation whereby we can have his workmanship produce fruit in every area of our lives. And so let me ask you today, is there an area of your life where you see the Lord needs to bear fruit? Let me point this out. The attitude is not contingent on the context that he's put you in. More often than not, he will put you in a context where it is hard to love, to be humble, to be gentle. But that's where he's calling you to love and to be humble and to be gentle because it's in that same crisis, that same conflict where he's working his perfect work through you and through me because he is at work in us, creating us in us, Christ, to have the work that he has for us before the foundation of the world become revealed so his name will be made great. So is there an area of your life where you sense we need to say, Lord, I need you to bring my heart in alignment with yours. Would you stand with me for just a moment? You and the Lord, just you and him. For the next minute or two, as our praise team sings the next song, if y'all want to just start singing it, go right on ahead. Just let the Lord deal with your heart. Let him deal with your heart this morning. 